Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Story time. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Back in the mid-90s, I had a close friend named John, who shared my passion for hiking and camping. One weekend, John and his wife, Emily, decided to hike to Indian Prairie Lake to camp and fish for a couple of days. I was unable to join them due to a prior engagement, but they promised to share their adventure with me upon their return. When they came back, their faces were pale and their hands trembled as they recounted their experience. They told me that the area around the lake had been unusually quiet and still, and they couldn't shake the eerie feeling of being watched. As John waded into the lake to cast his fishing line, their normally aggressive dog, Bear, followed him, whining and trying to wrap himself around John's legs. They felt so spooked that they decided to leave after only a short time. A few weeks later, their high school-aged son, Jake, and his friends decided to camp at the same lake. They, too, experienced the same sense of unease, and once again, Bear freaked out, this time retreating to the safety of their tent and refusing to come out. Despite the unsettling atmosphere, 
The boys were determined to stay the night. As darkness fell, they were harassed by something that screamed in the night. They also heard the sound of something being thrown at them. Terrified, they broke camp and left in the wee hours of the morning. I couldn't help but feel intrigued and concerned about the strange occurrences at Indian Prairie Lake. As a former Navy SEAL, my friend Randy was always up for a challenge, so I told him about the mysterious happenings and asked if he wanted to investigate with me. Without hesitation, he agreed. We arrived at the lake, determined to uncover the truth behind the unsettling events. The air was heavy with silence, and we couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched. We set up camp and waited, bear lying nervously at our feet. As night fell, we took turns keeping watch. It wasn't long before we heard the same blood-curdling scream that John's son and his friends had described. Randy and I grabbed our flashlights and ventured out into the darkness, Bear reluctantly following behind. We searched the area, but found no signs of what could have produced the scream. However, as we returned to our campsite, we noticed large, unusual footprints near the edge of the lake. They were unlike anything we had ever seen. We continued our investigation the following day, discovering more footprints and what appeared to be evidence of something large moving through the underbrush. As a Navy SEAL, Randy was skilled in tracking, and he was baffled by what he saw. Despite our best efforts, we were unable to determine the source of the strange happenings at Indian Prairie Lake. To this day, the mystery remains unsolved. Years later, I heard that Jake had joined the Marines and was stationed in the Middle East. I often wonder if he still thinks about that eerie night at Indian Prairie Lake and the unknown force that had driven him and his friends away in fear. It was a crisp autumn morning, and I had decided to spend the day with my cousin, Mike, collecting sugar pine cones along Forest Service Road 9777. We had always enjoyed these outings, the fresh air and beautiful scenery providing a welcome escape from the hustle and bustle of daily life. As we drove deeper into the forest, I felt a growing sense of excitement. The sun had just risen, and the golden light filtering through the trees cast a warm, inviting glow on the forest floor. We parked the car near a particularly dense grove of sugar pines and got out, ready to begin our search for the largest and most impressive cones we could find. We had been picking cones for a couple of hours when I suggested we take a break and head back to the car for some refreshments. Mike agreed, and as we walked back along the road, I couldn't help but notice how eerily quiet the forest had become. It was as if the entire area was holding its breath, waiting for something to happen. As we neared the car, I saw something in my peripheral vision. It was a large, dark figure moving quickly across the road in front of our vehicle. I stopped in my tracks and tried to get a better look at the creature, but it disappeared into the brush before I could make out any distinguishing features. Did you see that? I asked, turning to Mike. He looked confused, having been gazing out the passenger side window when the figure had crossed the road. What are you talking about? He replied, looking around nervously. Before I could answer, we heard a voice calling out to us from a nearby ridge. It was Park Ranger Jason, a friendly and knowledgeable man who had worked in the area for years. He had noticed our car parked along the road and had come to check on us, making sure we weren't causing any trouble or in need of assistance. I quickly explained to Jason what I had seen, and to my surprise, he didn't dismiss my story outright. Instead, he looked thoughtful and asked if we'd mind showing him the spot where the creature had crossed the road. Together, we retraced our steps and examined the area where I had seen the mysterious figure. Jason searched the ground intently, and after a few moments, he pointed out a series of large, deep footprints leading off into the brush. I've heard reports of Sasquatch sightings in this area before, Jason admitted, but I've never come across such clear evidence myself. It's possible that it was watching you from a distance and only crossed the road when it thought you weren't looking. We followed the footprints for a short distance, but they soon disappeared in the thick undergrowth. Jason advised us to be cautious and aware of our surroundings, 
as there was no way of knowing how the creature might react if it felt threatened. Although we never saw the Sasquatch again that day, the experience left a lasting impression on both Mike and me. We continued our pine cone collecting tradition, but we couldn't help but feel a heightened sense of wonder and curiosity every time we ventured into the forest. I have worked in law enforcement for the past 20 years. I began working for the sheriff department, later moving to local police. I now work for the state police, but the following story happened during my time in local police department. For a period of time, I worked on patrol, usually spent most of my time on duty in the car or just generally outside. I used to work the night shift for a very long time, but it did get a little lonely at times. I would clock in at 10 p.m., and specifically, this one night, my department sent me into a part of the city that I rarely ever went to. It was mostly peaceful, especially during the night, so I thought this would be a quiet shift. I slept well before coming to work, so with some coffee, I was pretty well rested and alert and ready. It became a habit of mine, so much that I had trouble staying awake for those rare occasions I worked morning shifts or during the day. I was also a single man at the time, so I could very easily adapt to my schedule, whatever my supervisor needed me to do. I clocked in that night, and everything was going smoothly. Most of the people were still awake and out and about, most returning to their homes, calling it a night. The first couple of hours passed pretty quickly. At around 12.30, it became very quiet. I kept driving around the city and checking that everybody was getting out of the streets. I drove for about an hour or two, and I came upon a group of kids, about five teenagers, sitting in a park smoking cigarettes. After telling them to go home and quit smoking, I moved on with my job. A few blocks away, I came across a man stumbling in the street. I stopped next to him, asking him if he was okay or needed help. He told me that he'd had a bit too much to drink but he was on his way home. Apparently, he lived across the street from where I stopped him. I let him go, watching him get inside. It took him a couple of minutes, but he eventually made it inside. I was on my way once again. This time of the night, we would usually receive complaints of loud parties, sometimes domestic disturbances. Tonight, however, was a bit different, and quite frankly, I was getting more bored by the minute. I heard some partners of mine go out and purposely try to open the doors of various businesses, making sure they're properly locked. I was considering trying it to pass the time. If I had managed to get into the building, then I would have found a weakness and informed the owners. I was about to park my car and go out to check on a store when I heard the dispatcher calling out to everybody. I responded to the call. She reported that there had been a strange person wandering the streets, moving from alley to alley. My initial thoughts were it was probably somebody who was intoxicated. I would have to take him home or put him in the drunk tank. Well, I was very, very wrong. I arrived at the scene where they were last seen. It was a really cold night outside, and I was beginning to wonder if they had fallen asleep in one of the three small alleys right beside the main road. I decided to search each of them, starting from the first one. I drew out my gun and a flashlight and entered the first alleyway. It was pitch black. I shook a light in and saw that it was short and it ended with a wall. There was nobody there. I moved on to the second one. It was similar to the first, except this one had a few trash cans. I slowly moved towards them. I slowly moved towards them. They looked like drops of blood around them. I'm still not sure what the dark liquid was, but it looked like blood to me. I reported what I saw and moved to the final alleyway. I know that by this point whoever it was was probably gone, but I had to take a look. I walked into the third alley and was genuinely surprised to find somebody there. I suspected that it had been the person reported. I announced myself and approached them. It was a tall skinny man, he was bald and very pale. He was also hiding his face but not in a way to hide his face from me and more like covering his eyes because the bright light bothered him. I managed to get a glimpse of his left eye. 
I think that my shock encouraged him to show me his entire face. I calculated my mistakes here as well as my opportunities for the course of action. My first mistake was that he was not a he in the first place or even human. He had bright yellow eyes and a large mouth with multiple sets of sharp teeth protruding out. Look, my sister is really into Halloween and contact lenses for various costumes. I can tell a contact lens from a real eye. They were real and glowing. Here it opened its mouth, and I could see it also had these two fang-like teeth. My guess is that the blood I found before came from this person or creature or it. I also guess it was hurt. I had a feeling that human flesh was on its menu, but it had not yet attacked me. I heard my backup come right before alleyway, and I slowly backed out to meet them, carefully keeping my eye on it. However, I took my eyes off it for roughly 10 seconds when my colleagues and I walked into the alleyway, and whatever you want to call it was gone. I don't know how it could have slipped up so fast, but it did. Instead, I took a sample of that blood-like liquid from before and took it to our labs for testing. The results came back really messed up. It was inconclusive. It appeared to be unidentified DNA. It's been about six or seven years since the incident, but the memory of it still sends chills down my spine. The area around Lost Lake in Oregon has grown and changed over the years, but I can still recall that fateful day as if it were yesterday. I had set up camp at Lost Lake and spent my days exploring the beautiful surroundings, as I had done countless times before. On this particular day, I was hiking around the area and I came across a small creek crossing and a little ravine about 200 yards behind the local store. As I stood there, I found myself gazing at what appeared to be a fallen tree with a broken stump about 6 feet up. There were some odd features on it, dark patches that resembled eyes and arms coming across a leg, as if someone was sitting in a crouched position. It was around 3 p.m., so I figured the strange appearance could have been due to the lighting and the shadows cast by the trees. Still, I thought it looked cool and wanted to capture the scene with my camera. I didn't have my camera with me, so I placed a pile of rocks directly across from the fallen tree to mark the spot and ran back to my campsite to grab it. It took me about 15 minutes to retrieve my camera and return to the location. Upon arriving back at the spot, I immediately noticed that my pyramid of rocks had been knocked over. A sudden sense of unease washed over me as I scanned the area. To my disbelief, the fallen tree that I had seen earlier was gone, no branches, no stump, nothing worth taking a picture of. Confused, I searched the area, thinking that perhaps I was looking at it from the wrong angle. However, the only thing I found across the creek was a completely ordinary scene that couldn't have been what I had seen earlier. A few days later, I returned to Portland, Oregon, and the incident was mostly forgotten. That is, until I saw a news report stating that there had been sightings of Bigfoot in the same area where I had been camping. The realization hit me like a ton of bricks, had I unknowingly stumbled upon a Bigfoot resting in the woods? and had it knocked over my pile of rocks to erase any trace of its presence? I couldn't shake the feeling that something extraordinary had happened, and the thought of it made my heart race with both excitement and fear. I have never gone camping at Lost Lake again. The memory of that day, the strange fallen tree that vanished, and the unsettling news report will forever haunt me. While working as a park ranger, I had an experience with the supernatural. It was a scary ordeal, I must confess. A group of hikers had gotten lost in the woods and my fellow rangers and I had decided to scout out the area. We got the general direction from the report that was made by their own families. Heading off in the direction, we drove until we got to the entrance of the woods where they at last made contact with their families according to the report. We parked the car just outside the woods and proceeded to search for them. We had searched for a better part of the day without anything to show for it. It was late in the evening already and we had walked deep into the woods. I was feeling uneasy with every step we took. It was as if there was a terrifying monster hidden within the woods. 
a sense of terror suddenly engulfed me, making me break out in cold sweat. I glanced at my colleague who seemed to have sensed nothing as his expression was as usual. I could not put my finger on it, but something eerie was happening in the woods. Suddenly, we began seeing strange markings, words written in an unknown language, different depictions on trees. What was strange was the fact that my colleague, for some reason, was unaware of everything. It was like he was in another dimension, he was detached from his surroundings. It was in that moment that it hit me, a dimension. Had he mistakenly stepped into a dimensional portal? Was that how hikers had gotten lost? Had they stepped into it as well? If they had, that would explain the disappearance and why we were unable to find traces of them. It was, of course, a mind-blowing theory, so I wanted to test it out. I moved closer to my colleague, attempted to touch him. My hands went right through him, like he did not exist. I could see him, but I couldn't touch him, and I called out his name, hoping to get his attention and alert him to the danger we were in. I called out his name several more times, even radioed him, yet he continued walking deeper into the woods like a puppet on its string being pulled. After my futile attempts, I proceeded to search for the missing party on my own. I came across so many skeletons and bones piled up into a small mountain. At this point, the terror in my heart had reached its peak. I resisted the urge to scream. I beat a hasty retreat and stepped on numerous bones in the process. What scared me was that the bones did not let out the usual crunch sound after being stepped on, rather, they simply crumbled into dust. I cannot help but wonder how long these bones had been buried there. This took my mind to the missing hikers, were they already bones, or were they alive like me, terrified and hopeless? I was at my wits end already and I could not help but feel despair. I glanced at my wristwatch to check the time, but what I saw shocked me. Time moves faster here. I had barely spent two hours in the woods, yet my wristwatch was displaying a date that was two days ahead. Two hours equal two days her. At this rate, my lifespan would run out before whatever was lurking around would kill me. At this point, all I had in my mind was how to escape this hellhole that I had somehow gotten myself into. All thoughts of searching and rescuing the lost hikers did not cross my mind at this point. All I could think of was how to get out of my situation. My mind was in chaos, disoriented, and I could not think straight. Just when I thought things could not get any worse. I began hearing voices and the feelings of being stalked overwhelmed me. I could feel something or someone watching me, and the thought of that made me panic. There was nothing scarier than the unknown, especially in a place such as this. I kept on walking, and my nerves were taut and on edge, ready to react to any situation. I moved on without a sense of direction, hoping to luckily find an exit or something. Glancing at my wristwatch, I saw to my utter dismay I had spent close to a week now trapped in this place. While I was aware that time was moving faster, things would be different as long as I found an exit, it did nothing to comfort me. I had no idea when I would find an exit out of this dimension. By the time I had spent a couple of months, I, through a stroke of luck, was able to find a way out. The moment I stepped out, my walkie-talkie buzzed incessantly. People had been trying to reach me and even my colleague. I radioed my colleague but got no reply. I knew he was still trapped in there, and there was no hope for him to get out. He was not even aware. My story caused a sensation, and I was rushed to the hospital for tests and examinations. The doctor confirmed that my cells had gone through rapid aging, and my cells had grown older than they should have. I would have had to have been placed on a special diet to prolong my lifespan. A few weeks later, the missing hikers were found. However, all of them had lost their youthful appearance, which further boosted the authenticity of my story. Despite getting intensive medical care, all hikers died mysteriously afterwards. My colleague disappeared, and I was told to keep quiet. The entire case was shut down before the press could even get out and no public knowledge ever became aware. It was a beautiful summer day, 
and my cousin Jay and I were driving my BMW through the forest near Lava Butte. We hadn't seen each other in a while since he lived in another town, so we decided to get out of the city for a bit, have a few beers, and enjoy the great outdoors. We drove to a spot the locals called the Foundation, a concrete fire pit on the south side of Green Butte. After hanging out there for a while, we decided to drive around to the other side of the butte to watch the sunset across the lava flow. The road was narrow, sandy, and winding, with tall manzanita brush on both sides. We went as far as we could in the car until the road turned into nothing more than a trail. I found a place to turn around and back the car as far down as it would go before parking. Jay and I decided to walk down the trail a bit to get a better view of the mountains and lava flow. We were only about 5 minutes into the hike when I started hearing things. Now, I should mention that I grew up in Central Oregon and have spent a lot of time in the woods alone, hiking, hunting, and logging for 5 years. I am not easily spooked, nor am I paranoid. As we continued walking, the sounds became more distinct, and I could tell that Jay was starting to notice them too. We exchanged glances, unsure of what was causing the noises. That's when we saw Park Ranger Colin approaching us on the trail. Hey, folks, Colin greeted us with a friendly wave. How are you enjoying your hike? We told him about the sounds we were hearing, and he listened intently, nodding as we spoke. I've heard similar reports from other hikers lately, he admitted. Some believe it could be wildlife, while others think it might be something more. Mysterious. As we continued talking, Colin shared stories of strange occurrences in the area, from unexplained footprints to odd noises in the night. Although he didn't seem overly concerned, he suggested that we stick together for the remainder of our hike, just in case. As the sun began to set, we reached an open area that provided a breathtaking view of the mountains and lava flow. We stood there, taking in the beauty of the landscape as the sky turned brilliant shades of orange and red. After the sun had disappeared below the horizon, we made our way back to the car under the watchful eye of Park Ranger Colin. The mysterious sounds seemed to have stopped, and we felt a sense of relief as we reached the car. Before saying goodbye, Colin advised us to be cautious and report any unusual experiences to the Park Rangers in the future. We thanked him for his help and reassurance, and then Jay and I headed back home. Though the strange sounds in the forest remain unexplained, the memory of that day serves as a reminder of the beauty and mystery that can be found in nature. And to this day, whenever I venture into the woods, I can't help but think of Park Ranger Colin and the eerie sounds we heard near Lava Butte. It was a warm summer day, and I had decided to spend it hiking at Gales Creek Park, west of Banks, Oregon. The park was known for its beautiful scenery and challenging two-and-a-half-mile trail. As I set off on my adventure, I couldn't help but feel excited about exploring the lush green surroundings. About an hour into my hike, I came across a woman and her daughter who seemed to be intently examining something on the ground. Intrigued, I approached them and introduced myself. The woman, Hannah Horvath, explained that they had found some strange hair near the trail. She showed me the whitish hair, which could have belonged to a sheep or a dog, but there was something odd about it. Hannah told me that she and her daughter had been out hiking the trail several times before and had encountered some unusual phenomena. They had heard strange noises, found possible Bigfoot tracks, and even saw a large dropping, a 14-inch patty, nearby. They had also noticed a tree, about 8 inches thick, that was broken off 5 feet above the ground. As we continued discussing their findings, Park Ranger Ralph approached us, curious about our conversation. We filled him in on the details, and he listened intently, nodding thoughtfully. He revealed that there had been other reports of strange occurrences in the park, and he was investigating them. Ralph examined the hair Hannah had found and told us that it would be sent for analysis to determine its origin. He also took a look at the photos of the possible Bigfoot tracks and the broken tree. Though he remained skeptical, he acknowledged that the evidence was intriguing. With Ranger Ralph's encouragement, 
Hannah, her daughter, and I continued our hike together, keeping our eyes and ears open for any further clues. As we walked, we shared stories of other strange encounters and speculated on the possibility of a Bigfoot living in the park. By the end of our hike, we hadn't found any more evidence, but we had formed a bond over our shared experience. We exchanged contact information and promised to keep each other updated on any future findings. A few weeks later, Hannah called to let me know that the hair analysis had come back inconclusive. The mystery of the strange hair and other oddities in Gales Creek Park remained unsolved, but the experience had sparked a fascination in us all. Even park ranger Ralph admitted that he couldn't entirely dismiss the possibility of something extraordinary living in the park. The experience at Gales Creek Park left me with a sense of wonder and curiosity about the world around me. Sometimes, the unexplained can lead to the most unforgettable adventures and the most unlikely friendships. It was December 2017. I was living in suburban Maryland, just northeast of Washington, D.C. I woke up at 1.30 a.m. to the sound of a break-in. I grabbed a handgun from my bedside drawer and went to the bedroom door to confront the intruder, but was suddenly rendered unconscious as I touched the doorknob. I woke up naked and cold in a pill-shaped, glass container. The lid was open, so I was able to stumble out onto the floor around the container. I felt drugged and could barely walk, but I thought I'd been kidnapped by someone so I was urgently trying to find an escape route. The room I was in was made of composite materials, namely concrete and plastic with fluorescent lights. I limped into a hallway that was tunnel-shaped and followed a blue glow coming from down the hall. As I walked, I came out of the tunnel and entered a large cylindrical room lined with vehicles on hooks along the walls. They were human vehicles, mostly Japanese and German cars slash motorcycles, but some vehicles were clearly from the American military. In the center of the room was what looked like a metal tree that was six stories tall with glowing blue leaves. But upon closer inspection, this tree was a large metal cylinder and the leaves were capsules much like the one I'd woken up in, except these still had people inside them and were radiating a neon blue glow. As I drew my eyes further up the tree, I noticed some blue wires moving around in the dark area toward the ceiling. These clumps of wires suddenly floated down toward me and turned to reveal that they had faces in them, each with two large dark eyes and narrow slits for noses and mouths. It's hard to describe, and I hate to put it this way, but think of a stereotypical grey alien face and picture it floating in a tangled up mess of tentacles. There were three of them, one smiling, two frowning. There was an exchange of words and charades between myself and the smiling one for roughly 10 minutes, but I was so exhausted and they were so advanced that there was no pertinent information shared between us. I passed out, then woke up again face down in a puddle of my own drool on a glass floor. I was too tired to move, so I tilted my head up just enough to take a look around. The room was circular, about 150 square feet in size, and a bright sterile white color. One of the tentacle creatures was in the room but was busy facing away and operating a set of strange controls with no buttons or levers. I laid my head back down but saw through the glass floor that we had risen out of a deep black hole that was dug into a grassy plain. A rock-shaped lid closed around the hole to cover it as we flew further up. This is when I realized I was in a spacecraft, and we had actually been in a silo of some sort that's here on Earth somewhere. I passed out and was awoken by the sensation of being dropped back first onto my bed with a hard thud. I checked my phone and it read 6.30 am. The whole trip had been exactly 5 hours. I'm not going into any further detail, but I found an object had been inserted and cauterized into my right leg, and I had a run-in with some men in black suits within 4 days of the abduction. I've never believed in abductions or UFOs or men in black or any of that, but now I've got no choice. I'm annoyed that there's no official place to get legitimate information or help on this subject since the experience was traumatic and any kind of clarity would help fix that.
I have always been passionate about the study of reptiles and amphibians. As a scientist based in Atlanta, Georgia, I jumped at the chance to visit the Yellowstone National Forest for a research project. My goal was to study the local snake populations, and I was excited to be out in the wilderness, doing what I loved. One morning, I set out on a solo hike deep into the forest to observe and document my findings. The sun filtered through the trees, casting dappled shadows on the forest floor. The quiet serenity of nature surrounded me, and I was completely engrossed in my work. As I turned a corner on the trail, I noticed a park ranger named Alan standing a short distance away. He seemed to be observing something intently. Curious, I approached him and asked what had caught his attention. Alan whispered, I think there's a Bigfoot nearby. I've been following some unusual tracks and sounds for the past hour. I raised my eyebrows in skepticism, but the seriousness in his eyes told me that he truly believed what he was saying. Intrigued, I decided to join him in his search for the elusive creature. We followed the tracks and sounds deeper into the forest, our senses heightened. After a while, we came across a small clearing, and that's when we saw it. A massive, hairy creature stood at the edge of the clearing, seemingly unaware of our presence. It had a distinctly humanoid appearance, but its size and features were unlike anything I had ever seen. As we watched in awe, the creature suddenly turned and looked directly at us. Its eyes were wide with fear, and it let out a low, mournful cry. It was clear that it was more frightened of us than we were of it. Alan whispered to me, stay calm and don't make any sudden movements. We don't want to scare it off or provoke it. Taking his advice, I remained still and tried to project a sense of calm. The creature continued to watch us warily, its chest heaving with heavy breaths. After what felt like an eternity, it slowly backed away into the forest, disappearing from sight. As we stood in the clearing, our hearts pounding from the adrenaline, Alan and I couldn't believe what we had just witnessed. We were both stunned by the encounter, and our minds raced with questions about the creature's existence and its place in the natural world. In the following days, we shared our story with other researchers and park officials. Many were skeptical, but some shared their own stories of strange encounters and unexplained phenomena within the Yellowstone National Forest. Though the encounter was brief, it left a lasting impression on me. I returned to Atlanta with a newfound sense of wonder and curiosity about the mysteries that still exist in our world. And as for park ranger Allen, he continued his work in Yellowstone, always keeping an eye out for the elusive and mysterious Bigfoot that he knew was out there, hiding in the shadows of the forest. In June 2018, I had taken a trip to Grand Teton National Park, hoping to visit the popular area near Jenny Lake. However, upon arrival, I discovered that the area had been closed to the public due to concerns over expanding cracks and fissures in a large rock formation. Disappointed but undeterred, I decided to explore other parts of the park. While Yellowstone had been in a perpetual state of unrest with its steamboat geyser erupting constantly, I had never expected to witness something so unusual and potentially significant during my visit. One afternoon, as I hiked through the park, I came across a live webcam that had been set up to monitor the area. Curious, I stopped to take a look at the footage. To my amazement, I spotted a strange, colorful bird perched on a branch just within the camera's view. The bird resembled the mythological firebird, or phoenix a sacred creature found in many cultures. Its majestic plumage glowed brightly, emitting red, orange, and yellow light, like a bonfire that was just past the turbulent flame. I couldn't believe my eyes. Was this a mere coincidence, or was there something more to this mysterious bird's appearance? I decided to investigate further, taking photos of the bird with my camera and making notes of its behavior. As I observed, the bird seemed to have a calming presence, as if it was somehow connected to the recent geological events at the park. Word soon spread about the appearance of this mysterious firebird, and people flocked to the live webcam to catch a glimpse of the creature. 
Some believe that the bird's presence signaled an imminent eruption or significant geological event, while others saw it as a symbol of hope and renewal amidst the chaos. As the days passed, the Firebird continued to make appearances on the live webcam, drawing the attention of experts and enthusiasts alike. Theories abounded, but no one could definitively explain the bird's origin or purpose. Eventually, the Firebird disappeared from the webcam as suddenly as it had appeared. The park returned to its usual state of unrest, but the memory of the mysterious bird lingered in the minds of those who had witnessed its beauty. Looking back on that experience, I'm still awestruck by the incredible sight of the Firebird in Grand Teton National Park. While its true nature may never be known, its presence in a time of uncertainty served as a reminder of the enduring power of hope and the beauty that can be found even in the midst of chaos. I remember my uncle telling me stories about his time as a personal bodyguard to President Harry S. Truman in 1947. One story, in particular, has always stood out in my mind, and it is a story that I have never shared with anyone until now. It was July 1947, and my uncle received a call from the president himself. He was instructed to prepare for a secret mission and to meet the president at a discreet location near the White House. When my uncle arrived, he found President Truman disguised as a member of the press, ready to embark on a top-secret journey. With only a few trusted aides by their side, they snuck out of the White House and headed for Roswell, New Mexico. The president had insisted on visiting the site of the alleged flying saucer crash personally, to ensure that the incident was covered up from the public. As they approached Roswell, the tension in the air was palpable. My uncle knew that they were about to uncover something extraordinary, and he couldn't shake the feeling that their lives would never be the same again. Upon their arrival, they were met by Major Easley, who had been tasked with handling the crash site. As they stood there, surrounded by the wreckage of what appeared to be a flying saucer, the president demanded answers. Major Easley explained that the situation was under control and that nothing from the crash would remain. In order to maintain the secrecy of their visit, a double of President Truman was used back in Washington, D.C., ensuring that no one would suspect that the president was missing. It was an elaborate operation that left no room for error. As they prepared to leave Roswell, my uncle could see the worry in President Truman's eyes. He knew that the truth of what they had seen would have to be hidden from the world, and that the burden of that secret would weigh heavily on both of them. Years later, my uncle would recount this story to me with a mix of wonder and sadness. He never forgot the incredible events he had witnessed in Roswell, and he often wondered what might have been if the truth had been revealed to the world. As for me, I have carried this secret with me ever since, unsure of what to do with it. But now, as I share this story with you, I can't help but feel a sense of relief, as if a weight has been lifted from my shoulders. The truth about President Truman's visit to Roswell may never be fully understood, but at least now, the story can be told. We live in an older house that my dad remodeled about 10 years ago. The house is about 60 years old and we have had a few over the last year. Or I guess I just notice it more that we have sun and my head stays on a swivel all the time. Just little things like a voice or a noise that we can never figure out what caused it heard someone cough one night looked at my wife and she asked if it was me. Have had cups fall off the counter. The ones that freak me out is when the dog starts barking and I try to put it up to the fact that labs are scared of their own shadow. But about three months ago I was up putting my son back into bed my dog was standing in the doorway wife was in bed I heard footsteps walking down the hall and my son asked if mommy was up so I said yes then the dog turns to face the hall with teeth bared and barking like she's about to rip something apart which is odd for her. I look down the hall ready to deal with whatever she is freaking out over and see nothing. I look in the bedroom and my wife is still in bed. I didn't sleep that night or a few after that. Funny part is ever since this ugly stray cat showed up about six weeks ago it has all stopped. I guess that cats are good for something other than killing field mice.
Ronnie Smith, an ex-professional hunter-photographer, been to Zaire and Zimbabwe, Africa, was among a group of five hunters on the Warm Springs Indian Reservation, Oregon, last June 12-13. They were about seven miles from Blue Lake, hunting south of the road, but away from an area of active clear-cut logging. The plan was to drive game down a mile-deep ravine by shooting rifles from the top, and three of the hunters would intercept the game as they descended from the ridges. They were watching three groups of elk, and one bull started up an almost non-existent game trail when they heard snorting and noises of something in a great deal of pain. Thinking an archer had shot the very large bull elk, they noticed large, furry feet going way up and over the bull's back, while watching with their binoculars and rifle scopes from about 3-400 yards at about 1.30 pm they watched in amazement as a two-minute battle between a Bigfoot and a large bull elk commenced. Why the Bigfoot picked the largest bull they don't know, as a smaller bull and several cows were nearby. They had the impression that the creature knew what the men were doing driving the game, and had selected the ambush site deliberately. The elk had hooked the Bigfoot in the side, throwing him up and over his shoulder. They estimated the Bigfoot weighed around 900 pounds. One of the men had a camera and started snapping photos, says he'll bring them in, of the badly wounded Bigfoot, bleeding from the side where the elk had hooked him. The Bigfoot attacked the elk again, digging in with long nails or claws on the right foot and tearing open the stomach area on the elk. Grabbing the elk, it started biting in that area until the elk went down as he held onto it. The Bigfoot tore off the areas it wanted, a rib and hem section, and left holding the elk portion with one hand and its wound with the other. It had curiously turned the elk over, so that the exposed section was face down to the mud and dirty snow. The Bigfoot was described as having long shaggy brown hair, a very human-like face, but with very bushy eyebrows, and having a skinny waist. He wasn't sure of height, tall, with a rounded high crown on its head. They did retrieve the remains of the elk for their own use plus saving the section of hide that the Bigfoot bit into that Ronnie says he'll bring in, wanted money for his stuff. Skepticals on please. When I was younger we were at my older brother's birthday party at one of our state parks, where we were at there is a little R with some benches. Beside it there was a decent sized playground. Off to the side, there is a trail that leads down to the lake, this is where my sighting happened. I walked away from everybody to the start of the trail, I was maybe a 100 yards away from everyone. I made it down the trail about 50 feet and I see a something coming barrowing up the hill. At first I though it was a bear running up the hill, because it was on all fours. It got onto the middle of the trail and stood up up on two legs. I thought maybe a bear cause they are known to stand up on two legs. I look up at the face and that's when I realized it was not a bear, it was there for maybe 10 seconds before it turned around and ran down the hill. That's is the only time I have ever seen one and am not sure if I want to see another. I was 10 years of age when this incident occurred. I and my family were living in an apartment complex at the time in Dunwoody, Georgia. I was walking with my mother to the bus stop. Suddenly, about 5 to 10 feet away, there was an apartment building about 15 to 20 feet being them. To the right side of my mother and me, there were what seemed to be two or three of these humanoid beings which were covered in what seemed to be white robes and emitting bright light around their bodies. This bright light is what probably caught my attention in the first place. I pointed to them and asked my mother what those people were, something along those lines. My mother remembered me asking her this but she did not see anything. She told me she just felt a very strong presence. The fact that she was there with me and remembers me asking her these questions is proof to me that it was not a hallucination or dream. One of these beings was standing in front of the other one or two beings behind it. I cannot remember the appearance of the beings in the back but I could clearly see the face of the one standing in front. It seemed very human-like, youthful. It had curly hair and a blank stare until it noticed that I was looking at it and then its eyes widened as if it was surprised that I had noticed it observing us. 
I was not supposed to be able to see them once I and the being in front made eye contact. Everything on their upper torso was white with a gray tone kind of mixture, including their faces. They were almost transparent like one would imagine a typical ghostly figure to be. I mentioned only upper torso because I don't recall them having any hands or legs, including feet. They also seemed to be floating because of this. I turned my head for one second and then quickly back but as I did, I remember seeing them sort of float or hover away back down some stairs that were in the vicinity. I lost sight after that. These beings seemed to be conscious of some sort, aware of their surroundings, and did not want to be seen by me or anyone else but they did seem to be there for a reason. I do not remember anything before or after this event but my mother told me it started off as a normal day and after I got back from school she told me I asked her again about the beings. I have sketches that I have drawn but can't find them at the moment. When I do, I will be sure to send them if needed. In the meantime, if you have any useful information that I could use about what on earth I saw that day please send me anything as this has been on my mind ever since my early teens. I am now in my mid-twenties and although I have had a few unexplained occurrences throughout my life, none of which were as vivid as this was. I have not seen anything, on that level, like that since. It was a quiet night in suburban Maryland, and I was settling in for a relaxing evening at home after a long day at work. As I lounged on the couch, flipping through channels, I suddenly heard the sound of glass shattering in the kitchen. My heart raced as I realized someone was breaking into my home. Before I could react, I felt a sharp pain in my neck and my vision blurred. I struggled to stay conscious, but my body betrayed me, and I slipped into darkness. When I awoke, I found myself lying on a cold, metallic surface in a dimly lit room. Panic surged through me as I realized I wasn't in my home anymore. I struggled to sit up, my head spinning, and that's when I saw him, Navy SEAL Tom. Tom was a tall, imposing figure with a chiseled jaw and piercing blue eyes. He was bound to a similar metallic surface, and despite his restraints, he appeared calm and collected. As our eyes met, he spoke in a hushed tone, Hey, stay calm. We've been abducted, but I have a plan to get us out of here. I tried to process his words as I looked around the room, seeing other terrified people restrained just like us. The thought of being abducted by aliens was horrifying, but Tom's presence and his confidence gave me a glimmer of hope. As we whispered to each other, Tom explained that he had been tracking these extraterrestrial beings for some time. They had been abducting humans for unknown reasons and he had finally managed to get close enough to be taken with the hope of gathering intel and possibly putting an end to their nefarious activities. Tom revealed that he had a small, concealed blade hidden in his boot. With immense effort, he managed to free one of his hands and retrieve the blade. He swiftly cut through his restraints and moved to free me and the others in the room. As we worked together to free the remaining captives, Tom instructed us to stay low and quiet, ready to follow his lead. He stealthily opened the door to the room and peered down the dimly lit corridor. The walls were lined with strange, glowing symbols that seemed to pulsate with a life of their own. We followed Tom through the alien ship, our hearts pounding in our chests. The vessel was a labyrinth of twisting corridors and eerie chambers, but Tom navigated it with incredible skill. Eventually, we reached what appeared to be the ship's control room. Tom wasted no time in scanning the alien technology, quickly deciphering their language and controls. He discovered that the ship was programmed to return to Earth, and he set it on an immediate course back to our planet. As the ship hummed to life, Tom led us to the escape pods, explaining that it was too risky to remain on the vessel during re-entry. We all climbed into the pods, our hearts racing, and braced ourselves for the wild ride back to Earth. The escape pods jettisoned from the alien ship, hurtling through the atmosphere at breakneck speed. As we touched down, we were greeted by a team of military personnel who had been tracking the alien ship. They helped us from the pods, and we were quickly whisked away to a secure location for debriefing. I couldn't believe what had just happened. 
The nightmare of being abducted by aliens was over, and I owed my life to Navy SEAL Tom. He had risked everything to infiltrate the alien ship and save us, and I knew I would be forever grateful. In the aftermath, Tom continued his work, hunting down any remaining extraterrestrial threats. As for me, I returned to my quiet suburban life, forever changed by the experience. A fellow firefighter who moved to Anchorage that was a friend had a surprising encounter with his wife and his buddy and his buddy's wife on two quads. They were on two AT Versus and it was on Ravilla Island about 12 miles north of Ketchikan it was the bottom of the Brown Mountain Road and it was the scene of a pretty hair-raising encounter with what really seemed to have been an irate Sasquatch which reportedly chased these two couples who were four-wheeling down Brown Mountain in August two years ago, that's August 2011 and, I'll just call him, Curtis, he's a personable 27-year-old Ketchikan outdoorsman. He's moved up to Anchorage now and he worked here in retail and did EMT and firework firefighting in his off hours he was able to give these details which I corroborated with the other witnesses. In Curtis' words, basically, I'll just read my recording. On the evening of August 26, 2011, I was with my girlfriend and another couple on two four-wheelers. We were having an evening ride on the Brown Mountain Road to the top of the clear cut that's 3000. That's up near, maybe 1,500 feet, we had parked our trucks around 8 p.m. at the paintball gravel quarry halfway along the road that's still closer to sea level. Some miles away and we rode our four-wheelers to Harriet Hunt Lake and all around the area before going up the Brown Mountain Road sometime around 11 p.m. Up to the top of the mountain for a while then back down. It wasn't raining and we had moonlight so we just kept riding until 11.45 pm and then turned around to come back down. My friends were ahead of us and we were just trying to see how far down the road we could coast in neutral. My girlfriend and I, who is his wife now, just passed the campsite by the bridge and creek near the bottom of the road when I thought I heard footsteps running down the road behind us and then my girlfriend looked around and said, something's chasing us. I kicked the quad into gear and accelerated to over 40 miles per hour but I could hear that it was still following us. It was fast, that's for sure. Well, he continued, it was just near the bottom of the road where Brown Mountain Road meets White River Road that I made a quick decision to slow down a bit to be able to make the turn and touch the brakes slightly and take a quick look behind us in the brake light to see what I could. It was only about 20 feet or so behind us and I was kind of shocked that the thing was as tall as it was. It was not a bear, 7 feet tall and heavily built. Here my machine does 60 at the top and I pegged it after the corner, he said, I passed my friend on his machine. His machine does 70 and we raced the 7 minutes back to the quarry to load up and leave quickly, you know, I just, at this point, I just want to add with Tanner, the friend. He had no idea at this point what was going on, only that Curtis and his fiancée or his girlfriend were tearing past him. On the way, I could hear our girlfriend's voice over the engines urging us to go faster. I pulled up just 10 seconds behind him. Tanner weighs 260 pounds and he was lifting his 300-pound machine onto the open bed of his truck by himself as soon as I pulled up, he was helping me. Well. While we were loading my four-wheeler onto my truck, our girlfriends had taken my small tactical flashlight and they've been shining it back down the road where we come and all around and, he said, I believe they were both talking about what we'd seen chasing us and I heard the word Bigfoot. As they showed the light, I noticed three surprising things. First, he said, there was a big black bear in the paintball part of the quarry, the local paintball club uses it about 35 yards away, and there was another, this is quite remote, and there was another smaller bear less than 20 yards away, these are both black bears, coming slowly out of the bush on our side of the road. That would have been close to a valley drop-off that goes down 500 feet at the edge of the drop-off to the valley in the east. At that moment, I was still trying to strap my quad onto the truck bed and Tanner and our girlfriends were standing right beside me they were scanning the beam back and forth when I heard some kind of gravel noise down the road and the girl screamed. 
I looked in the direction of the beam and I was really shocked to see a tall heavy shape standing in the middle of the road about 40 yards back, the way we'd come. It was right on the road in front of a big waterfall area. It was exactly the size and shape of the thing that had chased us down Brown Mountain Road. About 7 feet tall. But it would have had to have been running 40 to 45 miles an hour to have got to where we were loading. I measured it out myself later, you know, 3.5 miles. It was really. It all matched. Well, the data confirmed it. When the light hit it, it dropped to a football player's stance. It was kind of bobbing up and down with one hand on the road and the other on its knee. At that time, the smaller black bear behind us that had just come out of the bush turned around and took off back into the bush, over the edge like, I want to get out of here. Everything was happening all at once. As the girls turned for the truck, I could see the beam hit the big bear in the paintball area and it was going crazy knocking barrels over and crashing into things trying to get away from us or the big flipping thing. So Curtis summed it up, he said, the girls jumped in the trucks and they were yelling at us to get in and both Tanner and I started to drive off. In almost the same second Tanner had to stop for 10 seconds to throw his ramps in the back and I looked back to see the thing, but there wasn't enough light, and I was focusing on getting out of there. We didn't stop at all. On the way back my girlfriend and I talked about it. We both agreed that it had to have been a Bigfoot we saw. We talked with Tanner and his girlfriend back in Ketchikan and they agreed. That was it, he told me. I'll be back there for deer hunting and I'll be carrying a camera he said. What happened to us may sound amazing but those are the straight facts as best as I can describe them, he says. I've seen documentaries of Sasquatches on television and you have to say that the creature observed there twice the evening of August 26th matched the general description of a Bigfoot. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia and I'm a herpetologist. I travel frequently into the North Georgia mountains, up into the Helen area in the Chattahoochee Oconee National Forest. On this day, I was going there to observe some wildlife that I frequently study. This was last September 2016. It was approximately 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening and as I was going to my usual sites and I observed that there was no wildlife active. I didn't notice it at first but I did later on and as I was walking. I walked up to a ridge and I noticed there was something diagonal from me. It was on the ground and it wasn't moving. I was about 20 to 25 feet away from it. I moved towards it and it jumped up and spun around very quickly. I realized, you know, this was something very out of the ordinary, something I hadn't seen before. And it was sitting there and it was staring at me and some minutes had passed and, at this point in time, it was making moans or growls. It was making sounds close to that. That's the best way I can describe it. It was manlike. It was approximately seven and a half to eight feet tall and four and a half feet from shoulder to shoulder. It was very large and bulky. Some might say it was ape-like, but in my opinion, due to my studying various wildlife, it was not anything close to being an ape. It was like a man. There was absolutely nothing ape about it. Very muscular. The hands, the best I can describe the hands are about a size 13 or 14 or maybe even larger, as far as trying to fit a ring on it. Very muscular. I cannot stress this enough. You could see the whites of the eyes, unlike other creatures. They were squinted and aggressive. The forehead was not ape-like. It was more homo sapiens than ape. It did have full body hair except for the hands and feet. There was hair on the knees and elbows. It had hair like a man. The teeth. I was able to observe the teeth as they were bared most of the time. The teeth were like a man's. They did have three or four canines but they were worn and pretty nasty. I stood in front of this creature for a significant amount of time. I didn't know whether to run or just stand there or do whatever you do. Definitely. This creature could outrun me. Like I was saying, the hands and the skin were tanned. They weren't black. I wouldn't even say dark brown. They were just tanned. It did have fingernails. Human-like. They didn't have blood on them. I was able to tell that. 
This was all happening and as I was observing its hands, he was sizing me up. That's the best way I can describe it. Then picked up a log. I was able to observe that. He was most likely right-handed. I know this is going to be hard to believe but it's true and it chucked it in my general direction. Notice I said him. It did have male sexual organs. I was able to observe that. No tail. It walked upright. It had brownish reddish hair. It was matted. I'm not 100% sure if it was due to the Georgia clay or if that was his actual hair color. I was able to observe it was a mix of brown and red. After it chucked the log, at this point in time, I started backing up slowly. It didn't charge me or try to beat me or anything like that I was expecting. I was slowly backing up. There was a strong stench and body odor. Somewhat that of a wet dog. But, I'd say, probably a hundred times stronger. I was backing up and this all happened within two minutes. And I slowly started backing up down the ridge and eventually, I got out of sight and I made a beeline back to where I came from. It was definitely real, beyond a shadow of a doubt. It was what some might say was a Bigfoot, Sasquatch, or whatever. It was not a man. It was not a native creature that's seen every day. Someone might make their own decision about it. That's all I got to say. There wasn't much to compare it to but about 400 pounds. The forehead was sunken back and the shoulders were more forward. It didn't have a proper human posture. It was definitely leaning more forward than straight up. It's rare to see somebody that would be as muscular as that creature. It was exhibiting more caution, on the verge of aggression. The eyes. I was able to observe the eyes did have more downright fear, but there was aggressiveness there. The eyes were squinted. The breathing was rapid and going by the noises the creature was making, it was threatened. I drove south on Pine Grove Road. And pulled into a spot near Laurel Lake, parked my truck, and got out. I hiked into the nearest woods along an unmarked trail. I carry a rather large revolver in a shoulder holster for self-defense. As I was about to sit down on a stump I unzipped my coat and placed my hand in my gun to check it as it felt shifted. The second I put my hand on it all hell broke loose. There was a loud crashing sound of branches breaking and something heavy hit the ground. I turned and lost my footing and fell to the ground. As I lay there something ran past me. I not only heard it I could feel it in the ground, leaves were falling all around me. I got to my feet looking all around but there was nothing I could see and I quickly left. I hiked back to the parking lot, jumped in my truck, and moved to a different place in the park near Fuller Lake. I went to a picnic table and sat down trying to figure out what just happened. It was about two hours later when as I'm sitting there thinking I heard the sound of about five or six large trees breaking in half and then a splash in the water. I cannot emphasize enough how loud this was. It sounded like a Mack truck crashing through the woods and into the lake next to me. I jumped up looking around and there was nothing. There were three people around me and no one reacted, not even a dog nearby. I was the only one that heard it. From what I have recently read these things can read your mind and project thoughts and images, and sounds to you. Thinking back on it I believe when I put my hand on my gun something jumped out of that tree and ran like hell and as strange as it sounds it was invisible. Then it followed me and projected a sound to scare me back. The main reason I believe it was a Sasquatch is that there are tree bends and branch formations in many parts of the park. All of them are perfectly aligned to the north and south. People may never report them there but I think they are very much there. 